live on SEN Top End, 16.11am. Welcome to Fridays in the Top End with Jackson Clark and Raf Clark and Rob Hale for Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Welcome to SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Rob, we were expecting Raf Clark in the studio, yeah. but it looks like he's, the jet setter is away. Yeah, he's away in Bali there, so another cancelled flight for Jetstar. So uh, they got that text <laughs> late this morning, uh, this morning, uh, last night, I think. We've had to be flexible. You've got to be flexible on radio, Rob. How was your week, mate? Just a short one. Yeah, no, pretty quiet. Um, same old, same. Off, off bush next week, though. So hopefully Raf's back. <laughs> no. Hopefully, where are you going next week? Uh, out to Nooka, so out um, on the Roper Highway. So it should be good, mate. Very nice. So we will get straight into the footy. We are expected to continue our basketball conversation with Rod Tremlett later on in the show. Uh, Willie May from NRL NT, I believe, is coaching Souths at the moment. Um, yep. Expected to come on as well to talk about all things Darwin Rugby League, but. Let's talk about our expertise, and even that's being generous, saying yep. that we are the footy experts, but that is what we love to talk about. So, did you watch last night's game between Carlton and Adelaide? Yeah, I did. Um, it was a very interesting game. What were some of your takes from it? I don't know. I thought it was a big way to kick off Gather Round. I think that when you're the host team in the host city, that you want to have a bit of a statement, and they've really put the pressure now on Port Adelaide to match that after what could be, I don't know, about a season-defining win, but definitely a season-boosting win. You come out and beat a team that people are talking about uh, as premiership contenders being the Blues, and you don't just beat them, but you beat them by, I think it was 56 points in the end. So I thought Adelaide were very good. Rory Laird sort of controlled proceedings in the midfield, just doing all that grunt stuff and the tackling and providing a clearance option. He finished with, I think, 37 disposals. Jordan Dawson's been top class since moving across from Sydney Swans, already the captain of the club, and, and now elevating his game to another level with his midfield work. I think that he'd be sitting on a few brands my votes actually uh, at this junction of the season and their forward line is very potent obviously there was the much publicized recruitment of Isaac Rankin uh, in the offseason but you've got the the continual development of Darcy Fogarty Riley Philthorpe's getting better and has had a few games where he's hit the scoreboard uh, Tex Walker's still a target up there so there's plenty of avenues to go yeah, definitely. Um, it was a bit surprising. I, I don't think a whole lot of people tipped Adelaide. I did tip Adelaide, um, being the guru, so I got that, that one right. But um, yeah, I just find it very weird with that midfield with Rory Laird and Dawson that Carlton didn't go earlier with a bit of a tagging option and Kerno sort of ran with at times. But, yeah, both those guys were really dominant early. And then obviously, as you mentioned, the three big forwards, um, it's going to be a bit of a nightmare for opposition sides to you know, curve the influence of those three. There was a bit of a reverse psychology going on with Adelaide Crows where I noticed Rory Laird was lining up at Paddy Cripps at the mm -hmm. clearances, which Laird has done a tagging job before. Um, obviously, Laird's a great ball getter himself, so it's definitely not that typical negating tagging role that, that we're used to. But spent a lot of time on Patrick Cripps, and I thought it disrupted his game. Jordan Dawson went to him a lot as well at the stoppages, and mm -hmm. Cripps had probably one of his lower output games that he's had in the last sort of two years. I think he finished with under 20 disposals or around that mark. Uh, Sam Walsh playing his first game back, but, you know, star players when they're missing extended periods of footy always take a little while to come back. So I think that they will grow from here, Carl, and they'll learn a lot from the loss, excuse the cliche. But where do they sit? So they have a lot of top-end talent. Um, look, 
looking at your Cripps, Walsh, Mackay, Kerno, Weedering, Adam Saad. The list goes on, really. They've got plenty of good players in the team. Do they lack depth? What do they need to do to really be considered a premiership threat? Yeah, it's it's a very tough one. They um I think they had some enough opportunities going inside fifty. Um their defence I think is probably a bit weak at the moment. Um Adelaide were able to score quite easily against them. Um and I do think as you can read into the loss a little bit, but it's I think it's a bit of that home ground advantage that we've sort of seen in the AFL. Like sides travelling up to Brisbane, um, you know, Carlton travelling over to Adelaide. It's sort of a game they probably might have been able to afford to lose in, in hindsight, but they're inside, yeah, I think their defence needs a bit of a tidy up. Um, Nick Newman's had some good form, though, mm. back there, and he's been good. But, yeah, Walsh was probably their, you know, was their leading disposal getter with 25. He's going to be better for the run, and they probably do need more from Cripper. Um, I'm just not too sure if he was carrying an injury or something last night or he was just well down and had his coloured low, uh, colours loaded in the end with the 19 touches. What are your thoughts on Adelaide's younger players? So Chase Jones, 28 disposals and a goal last night. I think he's playing a little more in defence than what he normally does. Uh, Mitch Hinge was a bit more of a mature age type, but someone who's fairly new to the lineup had a good game last night. Wayne Malera, again, these are guys that are now not necessarily young players, but but they're taking that next step forward. And and one player who definitely is a young player is Joshua Shelley. So he's now playing a little bit further up the field, 22 disposals, so he's impacting when he's not just kicking goals. What do you think of what do you think of Adelaide's next sort of crop of talent coming through? I think because. You know, it has been a pretty quick rebuild from, you know, in all honesty, that they've bounced back now. I think they're like a finals contention side. Um, I think the young players are playing their role as well, Jacko. So I think watching them play, um, everyone's covering off, everyone's doing those team things a lot, you know, than what other sides are doing, relying on top end talent. Um, and, you know, that I think that's summed up with Dawson and Laird. You know, Dawson had nine tackles and, mm-hmm. and Laird had six, so that sort of shows their intent. Cripper did have ten as, as well himself as the captain of Carlton. But I think they're just playing their roles a lot better. And, um, and Rochelle, you know, uh, look, going through the midfield definitely gives him a, another option, doesn't he? So that's what's uh, it's exciting times for Adelaide because we've got a good spread of um, mature players and then those young guns coming mm. through. I don't mind Phil Thorpe as well, and that's an obvious one given that yep. he's such a high pick, but just moves very well. Seems the type of player that if he's not going to be a gun forward, you would think that he develops into a very handy ruckman. Um, so mm. he's he's another one to watch for. Uh, the Blues, obviously, they are. Like I said before, they'd be a frustrating team to support, wouldn't they, if you were a Carlton supporter? Because they, I don't want to go too negative and say, oh, they promised so much and deliver so little, but they had all the, uh, the heartbreak of last year. And now, I suppose, to lose by 56 points on such a big occasion, it would, it would be cause for concern for some Blues supporters. Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, you know, I, th- I think most people, if you weren't going to tip Carlton, you'd be expecting them, you know, Adelaide to, to win in a close one. And mm. just that start, giving up that start that they did six or seven goals. And, you know, they, Carlton did get back and look dangerous twice, I reckon. But yeah. it was always going to be once you kick three in a row and you're still down by three, it's always pretty hard to continue to come back. And, you know, they have got... You know, the draws, I mean, there's no easy weeks in the AFL, but they've got, you know, coming up, they've got Eagles, which, you know, or St Kilda, Eagles, Brisbane and Bulldogs. So So if I'm looking at, like, personnel changes, you wouldn't take these guys out of the team, but I'm thinking George Hewitt probably needs to do more. He (laughs) was very good last year and and everyone was singing the praises of George Hewitt. Just the three kicks yesterday, 13 handballs and eight tackles, so he did get 
involved, but probably not the outboard as you would the output that you would expect from a player of that caliber. And Matthew Kennedy is another one who sort of started hitting his 25, 30 possessions per game last year. Uh, just had the 16 last night. So, and perhaps a little more controversial. But are they getting enough from Adam Chera? Oh, I think stats-wise, he's that sort of player. But mm. um, yeah, I don't. I think that they paid yeah, a big price for him. Yeah, I, th- I think there's been moments where they've got that's uh, very up and down. I think with the split with the midfield minutes and that. Mm. And I think a few of those players are pretty similar in the way they're that inside mid sort of stocky sort of build as well. Yeah. Um, so they probably need that run and carry a bit more from Sarah, but I don't know if he's that sort of player either. I thought he might could be just more of that link sort of midfielder as well. So mm. they definitely would probably. You know, look good with more of an explosive midfielder in their side, um, which they don't really have, do they? Really. I mean, Sam Walsh is quite explosive when he's absolutely up and running, but more that sort of link man explosiveness and that run from the stoppage as opposed to, you know, a Paddy Dangerfield or prime Dusty Martin bursting away from the stoppage. So um, I think they were looking for a similar type, like, you know, Paddy Dow to sort of be that player, but he hasn't come on. He was a pick three, sort of hasn't came on as, as what what blue supporters would have liked but we do have some highlights from last night's game that we will throw to gather rounds has arrived in adelaide it's a thunderous reception at adelaide oval for the opening siren of it a historic occasion to be sure and a blockbuster to get it underway the Blues and the Crows on AFL Nation, you with Andy Hunt. Keys the Crows, chance the Crows, they're owning the footy, breaking around the body. He has started magnificently. Oh, you could not have asked for more if you're an Adelaide lover. He releases it down the wing, Charlotte to the 50, Texas too strong. Marks rolls, plays on, goes whack. Tex lands a big one, and the Adelaide Oval erupts. Harry Mackay's on the move, he swings it at goal. The Blues are stirring. Plays on, runs comfortably onto that left foot, and they are wide open inside 450 again. It ends up with Keats. Around the body he goes, and kicks his second. Sits it in front of Fogarty, he just got rid of Plowman. He's a thoroughbred, this kid. In he comes, and he's popped through his fifth corner. There it is. So he's got a handful, and he's going to be a handful, as is this footy team. To Koning retrieves for the Blues. He gives a bit of ground to Kennedy, who's caught in the tackle. On a historic night for the town that bears their name, the Crows uphold the pride of South Australia. They start gather round by inflicting the first defeat of Carlton's season. We have seen somewhat of a trend, I believe, and I'm certainly not new to the party here by noticing this. It's been something that's sort of happened for a little while now, but as a coach yourself at at local level, do you see a trend now with footy teams moving the ball a lot quicker? Um, I know Adelaide have scored their three higher scores under Matty Nix or or four of their five higher scores, some stat like that, under Matty Nix in the past couple of weeks. Um, St Kilda are getting a lot of praise for how they're moving the ball. Obviously, Melbourne moved the ball quick traditionally and Collingwood are a very fast-moving team as well. Your Bombers um, are a team that are sitting in the top four still, Essendon, and they're moving the ball. Yeah, and they're moving (laughs) the ball quite 
quicker as well. And they probably have to do that a little bit with um, with a bit of a restructured four line with Peter Wright going out. But have you noticed that trend as well where teams are moving the ball a lot quicker? Yeah, definitely noticed that trend, Jack. I actually noticed something last night as well, just depending, you know, with, the, with every backman pretty much now, there's always that when you do hit a target in the back half, you always got to make sure there's different angles and cutting angles and running mm. off again. And it seems like an expectation for every backman now. You don't really have that lockdown defender that just stays no. on his man. So every time that brings a lot of attacks from the half back line. And, you know, that was the sort of game plan. It was sort of probably a bit of a game plan. Um, Horses for courses with Colton and Adelaide. The moment it became a bit more of a stoppage game, Colton got back into it and had the big body sort of bullied Adelaide a bit. But then the moment when the game opened up, Colton mm-hmm. just can't go with those sort of teams, can they? So there is an Achilles heel that's for Colton. The, I mean, that's fine, but that's the way they like to play is that stoppage clearance sort of game. And they did win the clearances, but, you know, they didn't win the game. So This is what Carlton coach Michael Voss had to say after last night's game. We were heavily beaten around the ball, so it's. Uh, and when you uh, when you lose that battle, um, you lose important territory on the field, and um, and then we weren't able to turn the tap off in terms of um, their their efficiency inside fifty. So, you know, they've had twenty looks at it, and uh, you know they're scoring fifty five percent of the time. So uh, that makes it hard going. Carlton, uh, look, obviously you wouldn't jump off them. What does their next couple of weeks look like? They have St Kilda, so that's mm. going to be a big big game for the Blues. Then West Coast, which they should win that. And then Brisbane at home. So an interesting couple of weeks for the Blues ahead. But I expect them to steady the ship and get their season back on track. Happy days at Adelaide at the moment. And here is what Coach Matthew Nix had to say after the game. We fought early. The contest was huge for us. And then we knew what would come because Carlton are a great footy side. We knew they'd come hard and we, we just weathered the storm and battled and fought and did everything we possibly could to, to not let them get back in it. And then we, we finished the game off so well. So, yeah, really pleased with where the group's at. We've got players that are, that are happy to not touch the footy for a quarter if they're playing their role. You know, that's, that's a really good space to be in. That's how connected they are at this point. We're going to ride this wave while we can, and I've got no doubt our guys will continue to perform consistently. The effort's always been there. We've, we've never lacked effort. Now we've just started to get a little bit more maturity about how we play our footy. You can be improving out of sight, but not see results. You can be improving off-field, on-field, but not getting wins, and, and we've been doing that now for a number of years. And... You know, sometimes the, the noise about that is that, oh, you're no good, they're not... We're improving. We've, our squad is so strong at the moment. And I don't, I don't want our guys to hide from that. I want them to enjoy and embrace form. And the Crows next week take on Hawks, so they should get another win there. And then a couple of tough games after that in Collingwood and Geelong, who by that stage are probably... We'll have banked about three rings, I reckon. The Cats, I reckon they're coming up to a pretty solid patch of form for the Cats coming up, I reckon. Plenty yep. more to come here on SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin finding a place to write your next chapter. Live on SEN Top End, 16.11am. This is Fridays in the Top End with Jackson Clark, Raf Clark and Rob Hale. For Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Live on SEN Top End, 16.11am.
This is Fridays in the Top End with Jackson Clark, Raph Clark and Rob Hale. For Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Welcome back to Rain. Welcome back to SCN Fridays in the Top End. <laughs> Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. We will love your listing. Need to be quick here, Rob, but we have a big, big show ahead of us still planned. We're going to go through last weekend's games. Going to talk about this weekend's games. One of the favourite things that we like to do is sort of point out a bit of a roughie, point out an underdog that, we, that we're back in. And we sort of had pretty good success rate over the last couple of weeks, so hopefully we can continue that trend. We're going to have a look at where all the Territory AFL players are out there. Some exciting players doing great things in the lower leagues, in the VFL rather. Uh, Andy Moniz Wakefield and Jack Perris spring to mind there, so we'll talk to them. We're hoping to chat with Darwin Salty's women's coach Rod Tremlett and South Darwin Rugby League coach Willie May and much, much more to come here on SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. Live on SEN Top End, 16.11am. This is Fridays in the Top End with Jackson Clark, Raf Clark and Rob Hale. For Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Live on SEN Top End, 16.11am. This is Fridays in the Top End with Jackson Clark, Raf Clark and Rob Hale. For Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Welcome back to SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Robbie, we don't have really long here, but we're going to go back to round four action last week in the AFL. We spoke extensively about Brisbane Lions defeating Collingwood and what that meant for the competition. Carlton had a win over North Melbourne, a 23-point win, but then was thrashed last night. Adelaide have now recorded two good wins in a row. They beat the Dockers by 39 points last week, and then, of course, the big win at Adelaide Oval last night. Very quickly, let's see where the Dockers are at. So we know North Melbourne, the, the team that lost to Carlton, they're the two games we're going through. We know that North are a developing team, so they're going to have their ups and downs this season. But the Dockers have probably been the most disappointing team or right up there uh, in the AFL this year. So a big loss uh, to the Crows last night, and I think they play the Sun, so they go in favourite against the Suns this weekend. That that has to be a, mu- a must-win game for them. Yeah, it definitely does. And their ball movement's been criticised a fair bit. Um, they have been moving the ball very slow, oh, and yeah. it's, you know, it's not great to watch. And in this era now, it's quick ball movement. Mm. Plenty more footy to get into. It's a great round of football and some interesting results last week. Plenty, plenty more to come here on SEN Fridays in the top end. We will speak to Rod Tremlett from the Darwin Salties and, of course, Willie May, the coach of South Darwin Rugby League. Stay tuned here to SEN Fridays in the top end. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. Live on SEN Top End, 16.11am. Welcome to Fridays in the Top End with Jackson Clark and Raf Clark and Rob Hale for Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Welcome back to SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Rob Hale, we spoke a lot about the NBL One competition last week, and mm. we're big basketball fans now, big local basketball fans. And to continue the conversation, we are lucky enough to be joined by the coach of the Darwin Salties women's team in the NBL One competition, Rod Tremlett. Rod, do we have you? Morning, guys. How are we? 
Very good, thanks. Thanks very much for taking the time out of your morning to join us. Hey, it's been a great start to the season. Have you been happy with the early performances from the team? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's uh, early season for us always a little bit tough um, because we uh, don't participate in the uh, NBL One Blitz, the pre-season tournament, uh, yeah. like some of the uh, Brisbane teams get to do. Um, so uh, it's always tough coming out of pre-season up here where you're largely scrimmaging against each other. Um, so it's a bit hard to know where you kind of sit. But, um, yeah, wins in the first two rounds, obviously, are pleasing and um, a big challenge this, uh, this Saturday, tomorrow night. What are the keys to victory against? Are the Cyclones that you're playing tomorrow night, what are the keys to victory in that one? Yeah, um, Rockhampton, good side also, 2-0. Um, so it's going to be a really great test for us. Um, they have uh, Lauren Hurd uh, at the point guard position. Uh, Lauren was our replacement uh, American import last year, so she played some games with the Soldiers, about uh, 12 games of this last season. Really quality uh, import guard, played at TCU NCAA Division One for four years, um, so she's a real quality point guard. They have Lara McSpadden at the five, uh, who's uh, just finished the season with Townsville in the WNBL, um, six foot five. Big uh, girl, still fairly young, uh, 22 years old. So she's a quality big. Um, we're going to put some work into her. And then there are second American as well, uh, six one, six two, power forward. Um, so, yeah, we're going to have our hands full, but um, we think we've got a game plan uh, ready to go. And uh, yeah, it's uh, going to be a really good test on Saturday night, tomorrow night for us. Rod, what's the percentage between local players and imports at the Salties? And is it hard finding that blend between those local players and those from interstate or overseas? Yeah, a little bit. Um, we've got 14 on the roster this year. Um, five of those girls are locals. A um, couple of the girls are, that are from overseas or interstate. And Erin Bowman, our American import, she played in the DBA last year season, stayed on um, after the salty season after getting injured um, young Jess Boundy who's uh, originally from the Gold Coast uh, played some games with Anset as well um, so yeah we've got we've got sort of five uh, Territorians in the group out of the 14 um, we think that's a pretty good mix um, we're pleased that uh, we've got a bit of youth that's come through the Basketball Northern Territory High Performance Program as well in um, Sophie Palmer and Amy List so we're proud that those two guys have uh, um, come right through the pathway and now made it all, to, all the way to the NBL1 team. Um, and then, yeah, the challenges of uh, recruiting and um, trying to retain players here is, is a battle. Um, but, you know, we're, we're in our second year as a franchise and um, the idea, obviously, and the dream one day would be to have this whole team based uh, out of local players. But while we're establishing the franchise um, and, and wanting to remain competitive, um, we have to supplement that uh, you know that team with um, interstate and overseas-based players, similar to most of the teams in the competition, to be truthful. Yep. So is it difficult attracting players? You sort of touched on it before, but is it difficult to attract players to come play in Darwin or is it something that's perhaps a an advantage to recruiting players? So, for example, if a territory team were to go into the AFL, there would be many people that would say that's a hindrance to the development of the team and oh, it would be hard to get superstar players from, say, out of Victoria to, to relocate to the Northern Territory. But at a, at a state league level, so at an NBL1 level or at, say, a VFL level, it can be quite an advantage where it's a bit of 
of an exotic place to live and, and you know, try something new, you know, to go out and play Darwin or play for the Salties, it, it's, it's very exciting. So do you think it's more of an advantage or a disadvantage, the location of the team? Yeah, it was, it was one of the things when we were kind of putting the franchise together about, you know, how would that go of attracting players? I mean, I've got to say, certainly in the first two years of building the roster, um, been pleasantly surprised, both on the men's and women's side, to be honest, that players are keen to come. And obviously we've attracted the calibre of WNBL and NBL players here in our first two seasons um, with the boys with, um, you know, Maka, so um, McClutch Malawatch, who's just re-signed now, yeah. signed with the Sydney Kings. Um, and same with us, we've uh, been able to attract Chelsea Brook, who's uh, plays in the WNBL for the Adelaide Lightning. Ruby Porter, who's a development player, with, um, was last year with Bendigo. So, yeah, we, we really haven't found it as a hindrance. And what we're finding now is once players get up here and um, understand that, you know, in the dry season in Darwin, being uh, God's country up here and not worrying about the freezing cold in uh, Brisbane and Melbourne and these kind of places, um, yeah, no, people are really loving it. And I think they also love the fact that it's a kind of one-team town. Um, the access to mm. the facilities are, are really good. Um, so we don't have a battle getting on court during the day, um, you know, and just really enjoying the territory and everything it's got to offer in the dry has uh, been a huge benefit for us. How have the Darwin Salties contributed to the growth of basketball in the Northern Territory? Have you noticed a tangible difference? Like, for example, I'm a school teacher and I can just feel the excitement. I think basketball as a sport and, and you know, as much as we love the Salties and how everything's going there, it's, it's sort of the rise of the NBA and pop culture as well um, that has sort of contributed to that growth. So everyone's uh, shooting a basketball these days. And, and do you think that the Darwin Salties have played a role in that? Oh, no doubt. I mean, I know the Darwin Basketball Association um, had multiple years of 30% growth. And so, you know, a tangible example there is Sundays uh, at the Darwin Basketball Association used to be uh, club training day only. Uh, now that whole day from 9am to 5pm is, is full just with the under-14s competition. So we've gone yeah. from having no games on a Sunday and, you know, all those junior teams playing on it on a Saturday or in the evenings during the week to a full day of competition on a Sunday just to fit everyone in. I think the boys' competition now goes down to six divisions um, in the under-14. So the growth's been amazing. I think, um, yep, the NBA certainly has its place and, um, um, and, and some role to play in the resurgence of the game, but I don't think we can overshadow the performance of the boomers and the way, you know, Paddy Mills... Mm put that team on his back at the Olympics and uh, and got that elusive bronze medal or that elusive medal in the Olympic Games. And then uh, on the women's side with the Women's World Cup uh, last year and, um, you know, all the hype around Lauren Jackson coming back and, and the ladies being able to secure a bronze medal at the World Champs. So it's been a bit of a, a perfect storm um, in terms of uh, reinvigoration of the game. And um, to see kids, you know, you go to Casuarina and see kids walk around in Casuarina in a Saudi's you know, T-shirt or a salty mm. singlet um, is unreal, and um, yeah, it's really be- exceeded all our all our hopes. So it's, uh, yeah, it's been amazing. Yeah, we talk about some of Australia's basketball stars. As a Brooklyn Nets man, I just hope for a little bit more from Benny Simmons, but here's hoping. Hey, is this the pathway? Uh, the Salties team is this the pathway to an, a territory NBL team? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we know, you know, I think kind of done much more than we have with the way the Salties have established in the first two years. Uh, we led the country in attendance uh, in at games and we also led the country in online viewership. So the appetite for an NBL team is certainly here, I think. 
um, as you know, as with everything, with the size of our jurisdiction and everything else, it's going to take a significant um, level of support from local business and, and government to ensure the ongoing financial stability of it. But I just think with our um, proximity to Asia as well and potential expansion plans by the NBL and wanting to try and get up into Asia and um, expand that way, I mean, we're perfectly, perfectly placed uh, to be in the NBL and... You know, um, I, you know, it wouldn't surprise us to see that in the next kind of two to three years that um, there'd be an announcement uh, in that way. And we think the way that needs to be done is in, con- you know, in uh, conjunction with the Sowies. It's similar the way Cairns kind of run their NBL1 and NBL program um, as well. So, um, you know, we're, uh, we're learning every day as a franchise here, um, both on and off the court. And um, I think, you know, all these experiences that we're getting at the moment is going to stand us in good stead moving forward talking NBL and, and also WNBL. Nah, sounds good, mate. It certainly would be exciting times for Territory Sport in general uh, and, of course, Territory yeah. Basketball. Hey, before we let you go, do you have a prediction for the NBA Championship this year? Are you in the Bucks corner? Are you a Celtics guy, the Suns? Who's your tip? Uh, well, I'm a Bulls guy, actually, and I'm from a era <laughs> when uh, Michael Jordan basically got me into the game. Um, oh, I love the game and watching him play. Um, which is a bit sad, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I do like the Bucks. Um, you know, I, I think they do have the team that can can get it done. But um, yeah, it's a pretty even comp. I mean, I obviously love watching Josh Giddy play at OKC and the way he taught stuff. How uh, good was he yesterday? Yeah, short of a triple double um, was uh, was awesome to see as well. And um, you know, just the quality of players going in with Jock Landale at Phoenix and that. So for me, I guess now uh, the Jordan kind of era is over. Um, I'm more uh, keen on watching the Aussies uh, do their thing over there in the NBA and trying to jump on the bandwagon with any of the teams that got the Aussies involved. Yeah, sounds good, mate. Awesome. Thanks very much for joining us this morning and good luck over the weekend. Anytime, guys. Hey, all the best. Thank you. Cheers. Plenty more to come here on SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. Finding a place to write your next chapter. Live on SEN Top End, 16.11am, this is Fridays in the Top End with Jackson Clark, Raf Clark and Rob Hale for Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Live on SEN Top End, 16.11am, this is Fridays in the Top End with Jackson Clark, Raf Clark and Rob Hale for Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Welcome back to SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Rob, we were talking off air a little bit about Supercoach, which is something that I think we can bring that conversation on air shortly. (laughs) But before we get into that, uh, we will go through some of last week's games in the AFL, some of the round four action. My team, the Tigers, were disappointing in the end. So they looked a million dollars in that second quarter, kicking eight goals to two and wrestling full control of that match. I think they took a 14-point lead into half time, But then the rain came, Rob, mm. and that really sort of stopped the momentum of the Tigers and the Dogs were able to gain the ascendancy and eventually run away with a five-point win. What was your take on that match? Yeah, I think it was like one of those games where just the weather really affected Richmond mm. and the Bulldogs boys like Bont and Libra and those guys. They love those conditions, and it's sort of come through in the you know in the game. And I think if that game's played, you know, probably seven out of ten times, Richmond win that. Um, just one of those days. And Bulldogs got out to that really good start, so you can't really take too much away. And definitely Richmond was it was there still to be for the taking, but obviously Bulldogs, you know, 
needed that win and they got it in the end and puts Richmond in a bit of a position now and a few pundits are sort of half calling them off a little bit during I was going to say, well, do you think we're going light on the Tigers here? So we've said that, oh, it was just maybe not their day or, you know, if that game was played 10 times, Richmond would win more. But you don't get that opportunity in the AFL, Rob. And when mm. you recruit Tim Taranto and Jacob Hopper, Trent Cochin was the sub but played about half the game. So he definitely had a fair bit of time around the ball. Dusty Martin played a lot more through the midfield on the weekend. It isn't an acceptable result, really, to be in a winning position. Then the weather comes, and you've got a lot of big-bodied midfielders, but to lose the lose the clearance battle, I think it was 26-42. to 42. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, you've got that dominance there with Tim English, and, and perhaps uh, Big Nate was playing sore, because now he's missing the next, you know, period on the sideline. But are we being... Are we being are we going hard enough on the Tigers for recruiting these players like Toronto and Hopper and not getting the results? I think from expectations as, you know, yourself as a supporter of the of Tigers, and I, I've heard a few Tigers people say that, you know, the Tigers are going to finish in the top four this year, and if that's the measurement that you're sticking to, then it's a quite a disappointing loss mm. because I think, you know, Bulldogs are a 6-10 to 10 side in my opinion. Um, you play them at the G. Richmond don't lose very often at the G, and they lost, and five points. I think now Richmond are going to have to win a few games that we don't expect them to win starting this week against Sydney Swans with an undermanned side. I think the Tigers are in limbo a little bit. I don't know whether they are a fast, ball-moving team like a St Kilda or a Collingwood. And perhaps what they sort of were in 2017 where it was play on at all costs, just keep the ball moving forward and and scrap a goal that way. Or whether they're a bigger-bodied, clearance-based team, you know, with that makeup in the midfield of Prestia, Taranto, Hopper, when Dusty's running through there. I think that uh, Shea Bolton's form hasn't been terrible, but it hasn't been what it was last year. And, and those less midfield minutes and, and CBA attendances, centre bounce attendances, I suppose is what it stands for, um, is sort of hurting his form overall. Do you, do you mm. get that same vibe that perhaps Taranto and Hopper aren't quite the versatile players that the Tigers need? Yeah, I sort of, I think there's sort of them. Yeah, more that link. They probably can't have them both on the ball a whole lot of the time at the, on the at the same time. And you do, they need that sort of midfield mix and having that ability for Torano to have someone run past him like a Shea Bolton or a Dusty Martin or someone of that caliber with the ball use. Daniel Rioli off half back, making sure they can get past him and get that handball received. Is probably going to be a bit more of the tactic moving forward. And when they started to move the footy in that second and third quarter, mm. they did look. You know, like every bit of a top four side, but you can't start like that in AFL footy. No, we've seen that last night, didn't we? I think. Uh, look, I th- we're being negative there on the Tigers too. Sometimes we see players come to a new club. Even Jeremy Cameron started off a little bit slow when he went to the Cats. Dion Prestia started slow, uh, and we've seen other players do that as well. And obviously, the Tigers' best football this year has been really, really good. They're just not doing it for for long enough. So I think it'd be silly to write off players like Taranto and Hopper, even even outside of the Richmond system. Those two spearheaded a midfield when the Giants made the grand final in 2019. So mm. I think they can do it. I think they can get the job done, but it hasn't been the best start in the yellow and black for those two. The Dogs are another up and down team. Uh, I think that the Tigers let Bailey Dale do as he pleased last week and he really cut them up with his ball use. Bontempelli's obviously in some pretty good form. Um, he's doing a lot of the hard stuff, which which he always has, but 12 tackles last weekend, 11 clearances. Adam Trelaw had a really good game and Bailey Smith keeps trying to work his way into form. So where are the Dogs at? Do you think um, Do you think that they're a team that, as you said before, a 6-10 to 10 for the team? that's not what their supporters will want to hear. They won't want to be like, oh, yeah, they're making up the numbers. What can they do to propel themselves as a real premiership contender? 
Yeah, I think continually to grind out those sort of games. Um, you know, I think they're going to be given a lot of leeway on how, you know, with Bont and those guys in the midfield, they're going to get a lot of good forward thrusts going in deep. And I do, I think their forward line's pretty handy and the midfield's handy. And they've got a similar issue, I think, with their back line. Um, can be heavily scored against as well. Um, so I think they've got to tighten up that defence a bit, um, a bit more. Um, but moving forward, I, st- I still think they're in that 6-10 to 10 range. Mm. And they can creep into that higher bracket. But obviously those early season losses going 0-2 early has affected them a little bit now, but um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting the next month of footy for the Dogs. I'm, yeah. t- I'm still I'm tipping them this week, though, against against Port Adelaide. Um, the comp will sort itself out, won't it? There's so many mm-hmm. like eight-point games coming up over the next sort of three or four weeks that, that some team will capitalise on their opportunities and others won't. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I think moving forward, I think probably the Suns against St Kilda, I think the Suns are in a world of hurt. Um, mm. If we'd done an early season prediction on the radio, I would have had Suns probably in that 6-10 to 10 bracket. Well, um, let's talk about that one. So yep. St Kilda last week, 17-11-113, thrashed the Gold Coast Suns, 8-12-60. Now, I'm sure like you, I don't know whether you were watching the game or at least checking on your phone, but we saw that start from the Suns and thought, geez, here we go, they, they're looking on here. But um, as we've seen too often in the last couple of years, they've they've dropped the ball when it matters the most, and and they weren't. They their last half last weekend was well, you know, abysmal is a strong word, but nine goals to four, they weren't very competitive. They've made a few changes at the selection table this week with uh, the territory boy Joel Jeffrey, one of those players omitted. I thought Noah Anderson was really good last week. It's definitely stats wise, thirty eight disposals, a goal, ten tackles, seven clearances. You know what you're going to get from Tuke Miller every week: thirty two touches, eight tackles, and Lockie Weller had a good game too, returning from injury, but again same old story with the Suns where they're leaving it up to too little to do all the work Jack Lukosius was goalless after you know what people were labeling as a breakout game against the Cats so what what what's the situation for the Suns is Stewie Drew the right man yeah I'm not too I, I, I don't know if Stewie Drew's the right man um he might be but I just don't know with the Suns in <coughs> sorry um you, you want to start foot games of football, you know, start well, finish strong. Um, and we see that a couple of these sides didn't start well and then tried to fight back. And then I was flicking between both games, the Swans and the Port game, and, you know, I thought Suns are there, they come to play. Um, and then the, the drop-off's just ridiculous, mm. isn't it? Like, And then to lose by 53 points in a game that probably, if you're looking at your tipping, you know, we probably half, half considered Suns in this game. Yeah, I thought they were smoky. Um, definite smoky. And halfway through the second quarter, I was like, geez, I missed an opportunity here to pick the Suns. And then just to roll over by 53 points, I think some of the team defense was extremely lacking again. And I think I don't know who it was during the week called them the AFL's problem child, but they sort of are right now. Like, well, what do they do? So I know that um, I'm, I'd hate to be one of those people that resort back into like, oh, a child's being naughty, so you need to yell at it, or a footy team isn't playing well, so they need to train harder. You know, I think it's old-fashioned thinking, but that has been the criticism on the Suns during the week, where they've said that they've had a lot of early picks, a lot of Victorian players that they're afraid will go back home, or, or maybe not even Victorian players. It could be South Australians as well. We've seen Isaac Rankin leave the club, and they're saying that not necessarily that these kids are coming up to the Suns and they're uncoachable, but that the coaches at the Suns are afraid to you know deliver them those hard home truths or really ride these young players um, like some other clubs would, and mm. perhaps they're not getting the best out of them developmentally because of that fact. Do you think there's any aspect of that in play here? 
I do, um, but at the same time, they've, they've, they've. I think they might need a little bit of extra salary cap sort of room mm. to maintain the talent. Um, Isaac Rankin, from all reports, was didn't want to leave the Suns, but when you get offered, I think he got offered two hundred grand less a season to stay yeah. at the Suns or go back to his home state, Adelaide. So, I just, you know, obviously the money is is all and the Suns boys are you know a bit upset that he left but it's mm. like 200 grand more a season to go back home and play it seems like a pretty obvious thing to do and you see the form he's in at, at the moment in Adelaide mm. um, didn't play his best game yesterday but he's still linked up very well um, got involved in a lot of the play and gave off a couple so they, there are some overpaid players over the last 10 years at the Suns that you just you wouldn't, couldn't believe how much money they're getting. Oh, yeah. And if you look at some of the players they've... And GWS are in this bracket as well, but some mm-hmm. of the players that the Suns have lost over the years, like Stephen May is still playing good footy. Tom Lynch is still playing good footy. Dion Prestia, you know, the list goes on. If all these guys were still at the Suns, it could be a very different looking team, couldn't it? Yeah, definitely. So they have lost those players. And I think, I think with that retention stuff, you do need to try... I think they do need a little bit more money as well mm. um, and maybe the resource and the infrastructure like yeah the, that all that stuff needs to be secured a bit more but yeah I wasn't too sure who come out and said that though about St Kilda are a team that are firing at the moment and mm. they obviously had a big win last week in the game we're talking about but some of the players individually are just so exciting like Mashido Owens 27 disposals 2 goals last weekend had the 5 hit outs uh, 5 tackles so just such a versatile player that medium sized sort of hybrid third tall forward. Um, Naziah Wanganine Malira, I think, has stepped up his football this year, playing really good. Uh, Brad Hill's playing very good football. Hunter Clark's playing good footy. Brad Crouch has stepped up in Jack Steele's absence. Uh, Jack Higgins, the former Tiger, has hit the scoreboard a lot over the last couple of weeks and kicked five. So, are they, we're sort of saying the same questions here, are they the real deal? But mm. I, to me, it looks like St Kilda will likely make finals this year they've obviously started the season perfectly it's no absolute certainty but all the key indicators are there that, that the Saints could make the finals this year yeah definitely um, I like the way that they've got with all the injuries I think we get in the AFL we get caught up a lot about injuries and team lists and Ross Lyons just able to deliver a team standard and it was mm. a bit similar when Clarkson and the Hawks had a lot of time where they had a lot of players injured and then, you know, they'd still win games of football, one soldier in, one soldier out. And that's how we've seen with St Kilda a little bit as well. Plenty more to come here on SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. The Bombers continue on their merry way. I tell you, you would have been kicking yourself as a supporter with two goals, eight in the first quarter last week, but Essendon 11-22-88 defeated Greater Western Sydney 11-9-75 on Sunday last weekend. They're only 28,000. Where are your mom? Robbie, I thought they would all be turning up in droves after this start of the season, but only the 28,000 there. So. Yeah, I think Easter would have had something to do with that, having booked on the Sunday and going up against the Giants. I think the Bomber supporters have been pretty good for a long time, and it's sort of time now for that the playing group to start to turn it around start a bit. Start to deliver for the fans. I think so as well. Is, is it going to be this year? Because they have, they've, you know, they're getting the wins that they need to bank uh, in order to move up the ladder. Yeah, I was a Bomber supporter. He never sold on it. Um, 
obviously a tough draw coming up. What uh, six reasonably yeah. tough games? If we go two four or three three in that, which is a bit of a loser mindset, but if we go three three, I'd be pretty happy. Um, that would. If you go us, three three, you'll make finals, surely. Yeah, I think we probably almost would, especially. But we've got have got a bit of a thing where we drop some easy games and. So you know, just for everyone listening who are thinking, who the Bombers have? They have Melbourne this weekend. Mm. Then they take on Collingwood, Anzac Day. So obviously two tricky ones there. Then Geelong, and who knows what form they'll be in. Probably good form. Mm. Port Adelaide in Adelaide. Uh, Brisbane in Brisbane. And then they play the Tigers, the Dreamtime game, which is probably their most winnable game in the next six. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be, a, it'll be a tough run. I think if you can go three and three, mm-hmm. um, that'll, that'll be a big part of making the final. Because if you go three and three, you'll, you'll be in the finals at that point. And then you play West Coast and hopefully a couple of um, easier teams, you know, in, in quotation marks, because there's not really any easy games in the AFL. But yeah, a big couple of weeks coming up for the Bombers. Yeah, definitely. Especially you factor it in some of those games are away, which is, makes it against, you know, Brisbane are very tough to beat up there and put Adelaide in Adelaide and so it's going to be a tough draw for us but if we go even 2-4 might be okay um, breaking even with how even the AFL comp is mm. um, but all you know I was, I was pretty surprised as well Port Adelaide getting up over the Swans yeah um, of course we should have mentioned that one that yeah, was a Saturday night one so Saturday night Alira Alira was exceptional yeah um, Ollie Florent was really good. Obviously, everyone yep. talks about his miss goal and, and the celebration that wasn't to be, but I thought it was a real breakout game for him. 33 disposals, 24 of those kicks. Chad Warner just goes about his business, 30 touches and a couple of goals. Um, yeah, they were the ones probably that stood out to me. Obviously, it's tough to see Lance Franklin struggle a bit, and he's gone down with another injury, so he'll miss a bit of football. Um, and I suppose the story out of that game, from a from a Sydney point of view, were the McCartan brothers and their concussion issues. So um, it would be tough, like they've said during the coverage, to be the McCartan family. You know, you're worrying about Paddy's concussion, which didn't look very good, and then the younger brother Tom has mm. his own issues later on in the game. But I suppose Paddy is the talking point. Uh, you know, you haven't had a lot of experience with concussion, but it doesn't take a, a, a doctor or an expert to, to watch those that vision and think, oh, it's pretty concerning, especially his track record. Where does where does that all sit? Who's, whose responsibility is that? When do you think we'll see Paddy McCartan out there again? Or is it just too tough to tell, too tough to even have this conversation? Yeah, I, I was just surprised with how little um, little action that it took with the and then the outcome of how bad the concussion was, which mm. is a was very strange one. Um, so I'd expect him to be out for a little while while he recovers, and I don't think Swans would be in any rush to rush him back either. Um, the optics didn't look good. No, nah, the optics, yeah. So anyway. Um, I think, well, look, they will have uh, some players to cover, but you lose the brother. Mm. You lose the brother, and that suddenly starts eating into your depth. But I'm sure the Swans will give a few opportunities to their players. What went wrong for them uh, on Saturday night? So admittedly, obviously, we talk about the ending to that game, but Swans arguably should have closed that one out and Port should have been able to get into that position. So where where did they drop the ball there? I think Charlie Dixon and um, Finlayson sort of got, mm. you know, they were pretty under underestimated. Um, their games are underestimated a bit. Um, Finlayson, you know, they're both trying to chop out in the ruck and then up forward with those injuries. They took full advantage. Um, and put the Port grind, I think Port just grinded it out a bit and, mm. and then the, the result was there in the end and just never went away. And 
I think Port Adelaide are one of those sides that match up all right against Swans in in, in Sydney as well. I think they've got a pretty yeah. good history beating um, Swans there. Um, so I think that factored in. I did hear that midweek someone, one of the footy commentators, did mention that. I don't know if they tip Port, though, but um, it, nonetheless, it was still a surprising result um, and one that, you know, right when we thought King Hinckley was on, you know, his mm. deathbed, um, he bounces back and gets a win. So As he does. As he does. But um, the other games uh, with covered bombers. Um, so I'll go through just really quickly because and we have, so in my rundown sheet, Robert, I have all the AFL, the territory players, and I wanted to go through them. But rather mm. than being a bit stop-start and then going back and covering them all, while we're talking about the bombers, I want to ask about Alan Davy Jr., I think he's had a really, really impressive first couple of games at the elite level. Do you rest him this week because he's listed as managed? Do you bring him back in for a big occasion like Anzac Day or do you want him to have a sustained sort of period in the VFL now, perhaps leading into a big game like maybe the Dreamtime game in five or six weeks? Or do you want to see a young player like that be exposed to those 90,000, 95,000 crowds early on, which, which clubs do go down that route quite often? Yeah, I think I think now he's an important player for us structurally. Um, he does the little things that... You so know, he's best 22? I think probably at the moment he is with what we've got. Um, the players... If you're going to pick best 22 on what roles they're playing, I never thought that he'd go in front of Matt Guelphy, but he's mm. in front of Matt Guelphy. And there was a couple of incidents on the weekend that he actually caused turnovers and shots on goal from us uh, for the Bombers just from forward pressure. Um that perceived pressure as well. So I think structurally he is in our best 22 now. Especially if you're developing for the future as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think that Collingwood half-back line do like to run off and create. Mm. That's going to be a worry for us. Um, so he's going to, we're going to need all the forward pressure we can get mm. um, come Anzac Day. So I hope he's back in next week. Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody, kicked a couple of goals in the VFL. Anthony Mancara has been struggling a little bit mm. uh, with his output in the VFL, which is disappointing because we all know how good he is when he does have the ball in hand. Showed a couple of moments in his first VFL game where he kicked what looked like a goal that they called a behind. Um, but how does... So putting your coaching hat on, how do you get the ball into the hands of a young player like that? Because he's just, like he's a forward. It's sort of not the type of player that you'd probably put behind the ball in a half-back role or something like that in the VFL. But you don't want a player having too many one, two, three disposal games where it can sort of damage their confidence a lot at that higher level. What do you do? How do you manage a player like Mankara at the moment? Yeah, I try to get him up the ground a bit. But um, I think it's one of those things, you know, look, coming from the Tiwi Islands and Darwin footy, he did have a bit of experience in Adelaide, obviously, though, as well. But mm. he's definitely going to need to get his hands on it more. And he doesn't have that option of dropping back to the development league, does he? No. Um, if there was an option to drop back to like the uh, Western Jets or something to play that level of football, mm. it would benefic- be very beneficial to him, I think. But... Um, at the moment, you know, he's, he's probably the Melbourne winter's going to kick in soon, so probably getting him up the ground a bit, a bit more of a licence um, and not as structured football for him where he can play that maybe high half-forward role and have a bit of freedom, push up the ground. This is going to sound dumb, Rob. This is mm. going to sound dumb, but I've always been an advocate for using a, like these lower-level competitions like an NTFL or even, like as you said, maybe like an Essendon District Football League or something like that because they don't have the development league in the VFL now. Um, I would have loved to have seen, like, we've, you know, every AFL club's got a random beanpole ruckman that's 18, 19 years old, straight out of the NAB League that 
that is nowhere near AFL footy. I've always thought, how good would it be if some of those players played three or four or five games up in the NTFL for a struggling team up here that needs a ruckman and just gets mm-hmm. their 25 touches, 30 hit outs, dominating up here for a bit of confidence. You know, Anthony Mankara is the same. Like, let's say he has a dis- disjointed season at VFL level. It'd be great for him to go to the Tiwi Bombers and kick three or four, or kick a couple of bags and take that confidence into the following year. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm, I'm really stretching it here and playing devil's advocate because there's just too many variables that are out of the AFL club's control, which which they love control. They don't want to see anyone sort of, you know, work on their players and have their players um, without their full control. So I don't think it's going to happen, but it's always no. been something that I've, that I've thought about when watching Bean, Paul Ruckman sort of run around in the VFL getting their three touches and ten hit-outs a game. Um, Melbourne. 1912 126 thrashed West Coast 9963 that game probably went about as expected especially given the Eagles' injury list yeah definitely and Melbourne just showing their playing that game style where they shoot out footy 20 goals a game um, they're going to do that most weeks and especially that midfield Clayton Oliver in sort of brown mm. low metal form as well. Petrarca um, was good on the weekend, 29-3. Yep, so they've got... Grundy, a, got a flexibility yeah, now. Yeah, they've got a, some good mix um, in players. Um, so it'll be good, and, you know, they've got Max Gorn still out. They won't mm. be rushing him back um, and pushing his, you know, pushing his availability because Grundy's been able to get the uh, hands on the peel, which has been good for my uh, super coach. And yeah, so, likewise. Yeah, so hopefully Goody just rests Grundy, put him in some cotton wool. Um, and Cosy Pickett can play more goal. I think he kicked one. Two five. Five, so. A bit of a risky one, but two five would have been good. Be well, Cosy looks like that player that could take a step forward with his football this year. Play with a bit more midfield time. I think that's the plan. Um, but he's as good a player, uh, potential-wise, as Isaac Rankin and Shea Bolton. And, and I think that's what the Demons would like at that because he's not just a, a zippy, fast player. He's also got that physicality as well. Um, obviously, the Bailey Smith example isn't a great example, given that he cops some weeks on the sidelines. But he's not afraid to throw his body around young Cozzy. So, yeah, I can see a really big season coming up for him. And the Demons, West Coast, not much to talk about there. I think Tim Kelly was probably easily their best, but they're a young team on the development front. Um, Geelong, back on the winner's list. We watched that game together, the Easter Monday one, and the Cats were just irresistible after halftime. It was a tale of two games for the Cats, but a 15-goal mm. second half, 10-goal to nothing third quarter, really set the agenda for that game. Yeah, definitely. Um, the, the power of Jeremy Cameron's pretty obvious for everyone. It's pretty well known across mm. social media now how, how much of it, how influential he's been as a key forward. Brownlow form? Um, yeah, Brownlow probably form, but you wouldn't back the umpires giving him votes mm. considering it hasn't been that way for a long time. But you know, yeah, it'd be it'd be it'd be unbelievable if he didn't get the three on the weekend. Um, but yeah, definitely half time. We thought Geelong were in trouble here, and we definitely thought you know they'd probably come back and win. But we didn't expect that level of kicking ten goals in the nah. third quarter. And Hawthorne effectively just rolling over. And Hawthorne are going to be you know it's going to be very interesting following the Hawks um, over the next se- over the next year or two because um, their list is in a very weird position. Hey, where do you sit on that tanking debate? So we saw uh, James Sicily and Kane Corns go head-to-head in a pretty friendly manner, but on the Sunday footy show last week, do you think that the Hawks are tanking? Now, the get-out-of-jail clause here for the Hawks is to say, hey, Sam Mitchell's a very competitive coach. We go into every game looking for a win, and we know that. We know they're not going out on the field wanting to lose or kicking the ball to the opposition or anything silly like that. But the argument from the media and from people like Damian Barrett and Kane Corns is that have Hawthorne 
put the best list possible together to compete in 2023? Or have they clearly thrown out all of their more experienced assets like your Jager Ramirez and your Tom Mitchell and players like that to develop these younger guys? So where do you sit on that debate quickly? Oh, I, yeah, it sort of seems like I'd like to know where their money's sitting because it does seem like yeah, if you're paying 92 percent of the cap, someone's getting overpaid. Yeah, so and they might have front loaded a few contracts with some of these blokes, um, but yeah, I definitely think they're in, they're not worried about winning games of footy in the next two or three seasons. Um, the way they're looking though, Clarky. Nah, for sure. Hey, plenty more to come. I do want to talk about some of the territory players playing in the AFL, not just at AFL level, but also in the VFL. Uh, hmm. And we're hoping to get Willie May from the South Darwin Rugby League club on for a chat later on in SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. Live on SEN Top End, 16.11am. This is Fridays in the Top End with Jackson Clark, Raf Clark and Rob Hale. For Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Live on SEN Top End, 16.11am. This is Fridays in the Top End with Jackson Clark, Raf Clark and Rob Hale. For Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. SEN Fridays in the top end. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. Robbie, we don't have too long, but I'd love to touch on a couple of some of the NT boys playing in the AFL at the moment. We'll start with Daniel Rioli. So 29 disposals last weekend, continuing his solid form. He would have to be in the top sort of couple of NT players at the moment with, you know, Stephen May and Zach Bailey. Yeah, definitely. Um, he's probably, you know, he's in that All-Australian squad of 40 right now, isn't he? If you're picking a rolling squad of 40, he's been really good off halfback. Yeah, I agree. Morris Rioli omitted from last weekend's team and played in the VFL where he was a little quiet, didn't have a big game at VFL level. What does Morris need to do to really cement his spot in that Tigers team? Obviously, he's there for his defensive pressure, and from what I could see, that wasn't dropping off. But do you think that the Tigers would be looking to for him to increase his offensive output? Hit yeah. the scoreboard more, get a bit more of the ball. Yeah, it's a very tricky role, that one that Timmer Hardwick likes. Mm. Um, it's a lot of high-pressure roles, so I think. But, you know, there is, you know, I don't know how much freedom or leeway he gets in being able to score, but I think that's going to have to be something he adds, you know, another string in his bow because um, he has had a couple of quiet weeks, hasn't he? And it can be a bit of a starvation corner as a small forward. Speaking of small forwards, Jesse Motlop. Just going about his thing at the Blues. He's showing enough every week, isn't he? Obviously, last night wasn't wasn't the best performance for himself and, and the team, but doing enough to keep his spot in the team? Yeah, definitely. He um, kicked that really good goal as well mm. in the third or fourth quarter. And um, every time you probably think he's just been a bit too quiet, he yeah. pops up and does a few nice things. And I think that's what you've got to do as a small forward. You've got to constantly remind the coach you're still there. Oh, yeah. um, and if you don't, then you're often a scapegoat for being dropped. Yeah, this role. Plenty more players to talk about. Plenty more content to get through here on SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. Finding a place to write your next chapter. Live on SEN Top End, 16.11am. This is Fridays in the Top End with Jackson Clark, Raf Clark and Rob Hale. For Rain and Horn Darwin. Finding a place to write your next chapter. Live on SEN Top End, 16.11am. This is Fridays in the Top End. With Jackson Clark, Raf Clark and Rob Hale. For Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Welcome back to SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Hey, Rob, one player who has caught my eye, a young Territorian for Sandringham at the moment in the VFL, but hopefully 
for St Kilda very, very shortly at AFL level, and that is Jack Perris. So kicked three goals in the VFL the other weekend and has been named emergency for the AFL team a couple of times. Now, it wouldn't be the easiest team to crack into given, uh, obviously, he's pretty versatile, but if we're talking about him coming in as a back flanker type, he's got Wanganin Malira to compete for a spot with, and if he's going to come in as a small forward, he's got your Dan Butlers and your Jack Higgins and those types. So hard for Jack Paris to crack in for a game, but he's in pretty good form and hopefully one we see at AFL level pretty soon. Yeah, definitely. Um, and he's got that pace, hasn't he, that athletic build. So hopefully he does get a game soon, especially while I think he'll have those injuries. Paris, definitely one to watch for. Wade Dirksen kicked five goals last weekend in the VFL and Andy mm. Moniz-Wakefield, 27 disposals, which was close to a career high for him for the Casey Demons. Plenty more to come here on SEN Fridays in the top end. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. Download the SEN app, pair it to your car and listen anywhere. Showers across Darwin today, 32. More showers tomorrow, 32 again. Sunny in the Alice, 36. And showers on Saturday, 27. And join Jared Waitley and Dwayne Russell for tonight's Call of the Tigers and the Swans, live right here on SEN. Live on SEN Top End, 16.11am. Welcome to Fridays in the Top End with Jackson Clark and Raph Clark and Rob Hale for Rain and Horn Darwin. Finding a place to write your next chapter. Welcome back to SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Hey, Rob, we do need to talk about Gather Round, the big round of football that we have in South Australia this weekend. But I do want to touch on a few more of the Territory players and how they're tracking. So we just spoke about Jack Paris knocking down the door for St Kilda. A player who has been in good form that's slipping under the radar a little bit is Wade Dirksen. So picked up last year um, as, I would say, a mature age player, but he was only about 20 years old. Um, after his good performances for Peel Thunder. Dirksen kicked five goals last weekend and he's kicked a couple of bags, mini bags at VFL level. Um, obviously, there's a bit of competition there with the number one draft pick, Aaron Cadman, sort of circling around selection. But Dirksen, do you think he's a player that could get his opportunity at AFL level before the end of the season? Yeah, I definitely hope he does because, you know, you can't do a whole lot more than just kicking your bags in the mm. Magoos, can you? So he is that bit of that rangy sort of type and they do have a few of those in that forward line as well and um, with Riccardi as well yeah. and, and Hogan, who's, you know, Hogan's actually getting on a little bit, obviously, in age. Mm. Um, but, yeah, hopefully he does get an opportunity and he, he is one that slides under the radar a bit, doesn't he? So Definitely. We yep. uh, we often forget him when we talk about Territorian players. Um, just stuck away there up at the Giants. But playing very good football, if he keeps kicking bags of five, he mm. will. Um, he won't be forgotten about for that much longer. Hey, Andy Moniz Wakefield, as we spoke about, 27 disposals, a career high for him at VFL level. He was a player who I enjoyed watching as a young fella when he was at Nycliffe coming through. Slipped down the radar, um, this must be the theme of this chat, but he slipped under the radar as a young kid, I thought, um, and then in his final year, he was a very, very good contributor for a strong Nycliffe team in the NTFL. It must be such a tough proposition landing in a club like Melbourne, knowing that to break into that wing rotation or into the midfield, that there's just so many good players to compete with, whether it's on the wing with Ed Langdon and, and those types, you know, Rivers across the flanks, um, or, or through that more big-bodied midfielder type role with Clayton Oliver and Petrarca and even a bloke like Luke Dunstan who seems to get his 30 every week in the VFL can't crack in for a spot. So what does a bloke like that have to do? Does he, is it a matter for him just to continue playing well at the lower level and 
putting his hand up and, and perhaps, you know, he'll get his opportunity in, in a couple of years' times or at least, if it doesn't work out at the Demons, show enough for other clubs to give him a second chance? Yeah, I definitely think that's the way to do it, Clarkie, because, you know, obviously you've got two pretty <laughs> premium-level midfielders there in the Oliver Petrarca and, and everyone else on the trimmings on the side. So he's just got to, like, what do you have, 27 and yeah. a point on the weekend? A couple of points, Casey yeah. Demons are the best side in the VFL probably right now. Yeah. So I think that's trending along the way that he has to do and um, no doubt he probably wants to just stay at Melbourne and perform there and Melbourne are in a premiership window so it'd be great to get into that side because you're going to be in that you know you're going to be playing September finals footy but he has he does have to just keep putting his head down doesn't he and just keep performing that way that he is performing now and if it doesn't work out at Melbourne there'll be other clubs definitely circling him. Mm. So the Gold Coast boys Joel Jeffrey omitted from the weekend's team uh, yeah. Mally Roses has kept his spot, kicked a goal last weekend. Ben Long sort of just playing his role, probably not uh, exceeding expectations at the moment, but a good, tough player who, uh, you know, Suns don't exactly have those players in droves, and I think that his competitiveness and his negating ability would appeal to Stewie Jew at the moment, but, but one they would probably hope for a little bit more out of in the coming weeks. Jed Anderson injured his hamstring a fortnight ago in the VFL, so that's very disappointing for Jed. Um, and on a more brighter note, Lloyd Johnston and Sandy Rock, two young players yet to make their debut at AFL level, uh, showing some solid signs in the VFL. So what's your take from that group? Has the Have the Territory contingent underperformed, overperformed? Are they sort of where they're at? Um, or, or are they reliant mainly probably to get those accolades on, on how well how well the Suns are performing as a team? Yeah, I think, I th- yeah, it's a very tricky one. I think we haven't got any of the boys that are really outstand- outstanding players in the Suns set up at the moment. Mm. Um, but the Suns have done well recruiting territory talent, um, but the Suns might, you know, they're probably going to need a few and might have to do a couple of reshuffles in the next few weeks with Stewie Jew because um, they are looking pretty strong in the Magoos. Um, they do have some experience. Yeah, and they've got some experienced blokes, Connor Blakely, um, the cheat code down there. So they do have a couple of, um, and I did see they brought in Braden Fiorini this week, who mm. seems like a bit, very weird one, Fiorini, because he does rack them up when he plays AFL and then he does get dropped um, uh, the week later most of the time. So Fiorini's another interesting one, but there might be a bit of a reshuffle with those players and I'd love to see Sandy Brock get an opportunity as well at some mm. point. Um, he definitely has that sort of AFL look about him as a key defender that can run He's off. He's tall too, he'd be close to two metres. Yeah, two tall. metres and he, and he he, he can run off and create a fair bit as well. So I, I do I do think he's probably got that mould of an AFL defender. Mm. So I'd like to see him at AFL level and given that opportunity. Junior Rioli, does he need to start producing a little bit better footy? He kicked the three behinds last weekend, so it was an almost, mm. almost night for Junior last week, but he was subbed out. So I don't know if that was through injury or through team structure, or a bit of a kick up the backside from uh, Kenny Hinckley. But it'd be great to see him at the scoreboard this weekend in front of a big home crowd. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's just it's just too talented just to drop just straight off the bat. No, you wouldn't drop him. Um, the first week he definitely was worth his weight in gold. Mm. Um, but you know he does need he does need a performance in the next week or two. I feel. Um, otherwise, they could look to to put him down to the SNFL level. Um, but hopefully he can bounce back this week um, a pretty good match up there as well against Bulldogs um, who do have a back line that will try to run off and create as well so he should get opportunities to get um, hands on the footy yeah, obviously a few more NT boys we could go through, but uh, like Stephen May, Zach Bailey, the Coleman boys at Brisbane, Nakaya. But we will move on very quickly. Uh, let's 
pay mention to a couple of the players we have in the VFL. So Jake Long has been reportedly training the house down for Collingwood's VFL team. It'd be great uh, if he can play some more football at that level um, after a couple of really, really good seasons for the Kansas City Lions. I've been a bit confused, not in a bad way or in a negative way, but what Jake Long's doing actually at Collingwood VFL, whether he just wants to play the best football that he can produce or whether this is a move to get back into the AFL system. Um, so it would be great to chat to him um, at one point. But what do you think when you look at Jake signing for a Collingwood VFL? Do you know the motives behind it? Do you know what his intentions are? No, I have no idea about that, Clarkie, but he's he's been a pretty dominant player at the Cairns Footy League level. Yeah, he's the best um, player in the comp there. So, yeah, and that sort of standard's a fair bit off VFL, oh, isn't yeah. it? So, yeah. um, And he hasn't really played NTFL in the last two years. He hasn't played a game, I don't think. So it is an interesting one going back down to Victoria, um, and it could be a bit too late in his career, but you never know with these things, do you? Marlon Pickett was picked up late, mm. um, but he does need to start playing... Um, at VFL level, if that's to happen mid-season, yeah, we doing when we are seeing that with Sean Manners' form oh, for yeah. Werribee, um, he's now in the conversation for a mid-season pick, and he did have a, a season up for Wanderers here. Exactly right. So forty possessions and four goals. Sean Manner was. He came up, I think, with Dane McFarlane and another fella from Werribee that year and played very good football in the NTFL, but mm. one of those guys where his priority, rightly so, was with football down south, so didn't didn't last the whole year at Wanderers. Um, I think he ended up flying in for some of the latter games, but a very, very good player. When you get 40 possessions and four goals, no matter who you are, you're going to propel yourself in front of AFL recruiters with performances like that. So hopefully yeah. he can continue that up. And we have seen mature age. We've seen players drafted to the AFL that have come up to the NTFL a lot more in recent years. So Josh Carmichael mm. um, is now at Collingwood. James Cheetahs is at uh, Gold Coast. And, and they aren't territory boys, but they use the NTFL as a bit of a stepping stone. So it's great that uh, players can see the NTFL as a potential pathway into the AFL. So fingers crossed Sean Manor can join that crew. We do have a couple of other local players playing at VFL level. So Zach Dirksen signed with Brisbane. Um, I believe he is yet to play. Bo Tedcastle played for Richmond in round one and kicked a goal uh, and Ronnie Fijo also kicked a goal for Greater Western Sydney on his debut uh, which was a fortnight ago now so good to see these boys going out of their comfort zones and, and trying to get a kick at, at that level yeah and some of the NT boys you can get scrutinised a bit harder and um, we do have we touched on that on the radio before so if you have uh, you know but being in the top end it's such a different environment to Melbourne and mm. Sydney and these places it's just a whole different vibe. So if the lads are able to show that they can deal with that different style and that sort of thing, um, often you won't get picked up as an 18-year-old and you have mm. to go the long route, which is always... Um, which is flaunt and danger, but a similar path that Wallace went down um, so it can happen for these players or etc. Yeah, plenty more to come here on SEN Fridays in the top end. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin finding a place to write your next chapter. Live on SEN Top End, 16.11am. This is Fridays in the Top End with Jackson Clark, Raf Clark and Rob Hale for Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Live on SEN Top End, 16.11am. This is Fridays in the Top End with Jackson Clark, Raf Clark and Rob Hale for Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. 
Welcome back to SEN Fridays in the Top End. Hey, Rob, we have some great properties up this weekend. Yep. We have the 317 Hickory Street in Nycliffe, two-bedroom, one-bathroom unit. If you're looking for an ideal property that ticks all the boxes for a first-home buyer, this is your one. Located just a stone's throw away from the picturesque Nycliffe foreshore and bustling Nycliffe markets, only 15 minutes from Darwin CBD, this property boasts an unbeatable location that combines convenient with lifestyle. The unit itself is immaculately presented with a spacious living area and two well-proportioned bedrooms that provide ample space for comfortable living. The standout feature of this property is the large entertaining area at the rear, perfect for hosting family and friends all year round. Do not miss out on this fantastic opportunity to secure your dream property in the heart of Nycliffe, priced at 300000 Come take a look this Saturday from 10.30 to 11. Yeah, that one looks good, Clarkie. Uh, next property is 858 Bayview Boulevard, Larrakia. This is a three-bedroom, two-bathroom apartment positioned on the first floor on the executive complex of homes. This premier property looks out the marina and pool. And this three-bedroom apartment in Bayview is the ep epitome of Darwin waterfront living. Featuring none of the maintenance but all the benefits, this property will appeal to a wide range of buyers including investors, executives, first-home buyers, retirees and downsizers. Fully tiled, air-conditioned and neat, this is the perfect uh, this is a perfect place to move into or add to your investment portfolio. Priced at 485000 contact the friendly team at Rainham or Darwin to organise a viewing. Very good properties there, there, Robbie. Get on to Rain and Horn, Darwin, ASAP and snap up one of those properties. Hey, we are now joined by Andrew O'Toole by NT, from NT Thoroughbred Racing. Andrew, do we have you, mate? Yes, you do. Uh, good morning. Andrew, how are you, mate? Uh, so yeah, how did we go last week and with the Alice Springs card? Yeah, really good. First day of the Alice Springs Cup Carnival, of course, last Saturday in a nine-race card uh, run under fine skies uh, there. Tremendous racing all day and uh, a really good kickoff for the carnival. Of course, they have their second uh, day of the carnival, Ladies' Day, tomorrow. Unfortunately, it looks like um, the remnants of Cyclone Ilsa might play a bit of a, a part tomorrow in the Red Centre. That um, um, the forecast for wind and rain tomorrow, which is a real shame for the club, but um, meant to go through pretty quickly. But unfortunately, could uh, could get anywhere between uh, 15 and 50 mils of rain, so uh, not really what they need tomorrow for their second day of the carnival. But um, certainly the first day was good, so fingers crossed the forecasters all get it wrong. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully that happens there for you, Andrew. Um, is there any tips for tomorrow's uh, race card in Alice Springs? Yeah, Alice, uh, tomorrow, good card again. Uh, as I say, just hopefully the weather gods uh, smile on the Red Centre tomorrow. Uh, the feature there tomorrow, of course, is the uh, 1690 restaurant NT Guineas. 50000 up for grabs there for the three-year-olds. Warm favourite will be Ankle Rolex, and he's obviously the toughest to beat. He's uh, won four of his six starts for trainer Pat Johnson. Uh, but I'm going for one uh, to beat him there, number three, Danaher. Kevin Lampert trains. Mm -hmm. Just won the one race, and that was last start in Alice Springs. Uh, it was his maiden win. He steps up to uh, the 1,600 metres from winning over 1,200. I just like the way he got through the line. He's been placed uh, twice before over the trip in Victoria. So I thought at a bit of odds, uh, maybe number three, Danaher, in the NT Guineas tomorrow. No worries. Thanks for that, Andrew. Um, and there's no racing in Darwin until Anzac Day, is that correct? Uh, no, no, we go around today, guys. Uh, we've got a five-race card today. Oh, we're going around today. Yeah, we are. Five uh, five races today. Just a uh, a smallish card, I suppose you would say. Had a little bit of rain overnight, as you guys would be aware. 
Um, but um, the mm. track will still be in, in first-class order for today. Uh, I can see a couple of winners there. Race one, number one, Battle Class. Looks uh, likely to break through for his maiden win there in the opener for Tom Logan and Sonia Wiseman. Race one, number one. Uh, race two, Patria. I think this is a winning, a winnable event for the Gary Clark-trained uh, eight-year-old Jared Todd aboard. It was a good second last time out behind Archie James. So race two, number one. And uh, in race four, number three, Bell's Banner. It's only a small field, only four now with the scratching of number two escaped. But Jared Todd and Gary Clark, the combination again, uh, small field, drawn the inside gate, 1,000 metres, I think it'll take plenty of catching. Race four, number three, Bell's Banner. No worries. Very good, Andrew. Thanks very much. You enjoy your weekend. Thanks very much, guys. All the best. Cheers, mate. Hey, Rob, do you like the concept of gather round? So all the nine games are in the one state and it's like a big festival of footy. Is this a good concept? Is this something that you think the AFL will look to grow on and expand in the following years? Yeah, I do like the concept of it. Um, and I think the AFL just have to realise that they're going to miss out on some big opportunities though doing it. Mm. You know, Collingwood St Kilda could have 90,000 at the G. It's probably a bit um, unlucky for them. Yeah, it's like, unlucky. No one really aspect. would have predicted, you know... Four weeks in, like if you like, if you're doing the fixture season, you're not expecting this to be the blockbuster. But there you go. Yeah, definitely. And you got Melbourne, Essendon, but these these games are all you know pretty going to be pretty big games just in general, aren't they? Richmond versus yeah. Swans at the G could probably get forty. But I think if the AFL has turned, you know, some local people might think the AFL has turned very corporate, mm. and I think Gather Round provides that more community level. Uh, I'd know for a fact if I was down there, I'd be going to those low, lower level games. Yeah. Um, going down to Norwood Oval and watching, you know, the Suns and. Oh, I'd try and cram in as much yeah, as possible. Yeah, I'd be trying to go to those games because I love. Even when I lived in Melbourne, I'd always go to those um, venues that were more easy to get around. Mm. Um, you know, your Port Adelaide versus Melbourne games with yeah, back when they were. Go to know, a game at Marvel. Just hop off the train, and when there's like twenty thousand people yeah. there, no lineups to go. You know, go to the toilet, get a drink or whatever. Yeah, so I like that sort of atmosphere stuff and it's good for the AFL to get back to the community grassroots um, and being able to go down and watch as many games as possible. Mm, so, so we'll try to smash out a few previews. You won't spend long on each one. Fremantle versus Gold Coast Suns, probably two disappointing sides this season. Who's your tip? I'm going Frio. Yeah, they've both been disappointing, though, haven't yeah, they? It just wouldn't surprise you if the Suns win, would it? Like, you, I'm tipping no. Frio, but, gee, you never know. Yeah, never definitely. Know. Richmond versus Sydney, two injury plague teams here. Obviously, the concussion issues at, with the McCartan brothers, Nan Curvis and Tom Lynch, um, set for extended periods on the sideline for the Tigers. Who's your tip? Uh, Swans, but yeah. not not a whole lot of confidence in it, considering both sides are playing away. Um, obviously, if Tom Lynch was playing, they'd probably sway me in the other direction with the Swans' key backs out. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be a big game for Jack Rewalt and those sort of blokes to yeah. try to create a contest. And um, but I'm tipping Swans in that yeah, one. Yeah, I agree. I think Swans just, but you know, obviously as a Richmond man, I'm I'm giving us a chance. Hey, a double header on Friday night. That's a very good way to end your week. A double header of footy. So yep. two games tonight. Brisbane and North Melbourne. The Lions should be strong favourites here, but another opportunity to see how much the Kangaroos have improved. Where's this one going? Yeah, Lions should win. Um, they need to get that away form, winning form um, up to scratch, don't they? So mm. 
this is a perfect opportunity. Um, and North, you know, come and play a four-quarter game. And considering how Brisbane play away, they could challenge. Mm. Essendon versus Melbourne. A win would be absolutely massive for the Bombers heading into Anzac Day. But mm. the Demons do look like arguably the best team in the competition at the moment. Jake Stringer was very good last weekend. They'll need another big one from, from him this week, I reckon. Uh, I, I've got Melbourne winning this one. Do you give your boys a chance, the Bombers? Uh, if they can fix some forward woes, then I'd give them a chance. But I just think we don't have enough firepower up there against Need our Jones strong... Need Jones to step up and yeah. kick a few goals at, and the, at the bare against minimum. Against May, Lever and these types. I just mm. I think Melbourne's ace is our weakness at the moment. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's going to hurt us. So I am tipping Melbourne to beat us. Port Adelaide versus Western Bulldogs. Uh, pressure on the power after mm. Adelaide's performance last night. They can't drop this one um, when, when you know they're the host team at Gather Round. So I think that might be enough to... to get them over the line over the dogs but one of the matches of the round for me yeah definitely I'm a bit up in the air on this one um, I am tipping the Bulldogs at 265 that may yep. change though um, I don't like going against home sides when they're playing at home and but I just think the Bulldogs have been up for two weeks they could drop back a level this week but mm -hmm. I'm tipping them at this stage should be an interesting game, that one. Geelong versus West Coast. Look, I personally don't think there's much to write home about here. I think it's probably going to be another confidence-boosting win for the Cats. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've got Cats winning this comfortably as well. Um, and West Coast now, with Adam Simpson playing some of those kids, get some games into those guys. GWS versus Hawthorne. The Hawks need to respond, and I don't know if that means that they need to win, but they need to have some be a bit more competitive than what they were last Monday against the Cats. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I just, yeah, just the tale of two tapes for Hawthorne, isn't it? Mm. I don't think anyone can have any security in tipping them. They're at 288. There's value there, but I don't see it as value. <laughs> I just don't. Nah. I've got no trust in tipping Hawthorne at they're, the moment. They're probably the worst team in the comp. If we were doing our power rankings, I think they're probably they, number 18. But Collingwood St Kilda, the match of the round. Uh, not only the match of the round, it could be one of the games of the season so far. Both teams are moving the ball very quickly and playing that exciting brand of football that we spoke about earlier. Um, can the St Kilda's small forwards trouble Magpies' defence? I know you went and spoke last weekend about some of the small forwards getting out the back, like what Charlie Cameron was able to do for Brisbane. Um, can St Kilda replicate that? Are they any chance to win this or, or will the Pies be too strong? No, I think I think St Kilda can replicate this. Um, I think it might be a bit more of a shootout um, if the weather's good. Um, but at the moment, I'm tipping Collingwood, um, and I think a lot of people would be tipping Collingwood, but St Kilda are definitely not out of this, um, especially with the way Ross Lyon's coaching at the moment, rejuvenated a bit. Mm -hmm. um, It'd be huge if they get a win this week. Oh, definitely. It'll stamp their conversations for top four straight away. Um, start talking about the flag that, if yeah, they win this week. Oh, definitely. But now you mentioned it, Dan Butler... Um, Higgins. Uh, you know, Higgins, uh, Owens, these sort mm. of guys, Gresham. Um, it's very interesting to see how Collingwood match up on those blokes. No, I agree. It should be a great game of football. I'm still tipping Collingwood just, I reckon. Yep. Hey, uh, what's on for the weekend very quickly? Uh, a couple of bike rides, watch the Bombers. That's about it. How about you, Clarkie? Very good. Yeah, nah, same old, I reckon. Get get stuck in to gather around and watch as much football as possible and prepare for term two of school, which is quickly on the horizon. Yeah, Hope everyone at home listening to this has a great weekend. This has been SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin finding a place to write your next chapter.